making it episode two. Hello, hello. And we are here with special guest Rebecca Benton. Yeah. What's up, what's up, Rebecca? I'm excited. I'm kind of wet. It's really rainy today. It is so rainy today. Also, I have no idea when this episode is going to come out. Shout out to someone who I will not name, but there is a song mm-hmm. that I really want to be the opening song. And I'm just trying to stack my coins really nicely so that I can make this artist feel obviously compensated for this beautiful yeah. song. And it's going to be the intro song. That's exciting. So I believe in you. Santa Claus, <laughs> Jesus, Buddha, and all of the things. If you just want to make sure this song all the stuff. Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited for the song. Um, I've been hoping to add a couple of little like snippets to the podcast. Mm-hmm. And so um, one thing that I do want to talk about really, really quickly is this book, Well-Read Black Girl. It's an anthology. Uh, listeners out there, if you don't remember anthologies from like English class, mm-hmm. but it's a book that's composed of several different books. I stumbled upon it in green light. It is yeah. epic. And I really, really want it. Uh, also, too, uh, there is a wonderful book. I am totally stumping on the author, but it's a, I'd say it's like a compilation. It's also kind of like an anthology. Mm-hmm. It's called In the Company of Women. Hmm. Uh, my girlfriend and I, before we go to bed, we try to read one or two interviews. Uh, so if you are looking for a new book for Christmas time or all the time um, and you're just looking for, to be inspired, it's a really, really great book. Can I throw in a book suggestion? Yes, please. Yes. Emergent Strategies by Adrian Ooh, Marie Brown. I've heard Ooh. of this. It's great. It's great in thinking about how Afrofuturism can be utilized in institutional settings and reframing and radicalizing our um, futures and our imaginary futures and making them yeah. less imaginary. Yeah. I'm here for this. So, yes, I definitely want this to be uh, a part of the podcast just because I read. I think I read. A, I think I read a lot. Yeah. Or at least I try to read a lot. Though I heard about someone today reading a book a week. And so she had to hit three digits in the n- number of books she had read a year. And I was like, that's a lot. That's too much. Also, see, here's the thing. I really read based on like how I feel. Yeah. So like um, there have been months where I think I've read like two or three books but there are also months where I, it takes me a really long time to get through one book yeah i don't want to look based on our line of work i think there are a lot of expectations and like goals to me and like things to do mm-hmm. i don't want my reading my reading to become yeah a, a, like a goal thing yeah. i like certain books i read them i don't read them it's that's that i do have rules though i oh. don't know if you have rules mm-hmm. but like um I can get a little, um, what's the word? I can just get like, oh, Khadija, you got some money, so girl, go buy you a book. Yep, <laughs> yep. You're like, oh, I need these five books. Oh, that's hundred. It doesn't matter. The books. I read them it's an investment, not, right? In knowledge, imagination, you cannot put a price on it. Exactly. You can. Yeah. Yeah. And so I put myself on a limit. I can only buy one book a month, and I have to finish the last book I read before I buy the new book. That's a good. That's a good set of rules. Do you have a library card? No, well, I okay. No, no, I can't see somebody else just receive. We're totally like getting off topic, but we're gonna talk about this real quick. I cannot. Here's the thing first of all, I'm really, I want what I want when I want it. Mm-hmm. So, like, if I really want, for example, I'm reading right now, Come As You Are by Emily Nagowski, I think. I'm mm-hmm. so sorry, Emily, if I'm messing up your name. Uh, but I actually tried to get it at the Brooklyn Library. I checked like three different libraries, and it wasn't there. 
it was there, but I think it was on hold for a couple uh, of months. Well, that's annoying. And I then, get that. Yeah, and then before that, oh, also, this was a book that I think I read like three or four chapters of in Greenlight. It's mm-hmm. called Olden Art School. Mm-mm. It's a super lovely book. This woman who was like renowned professor, like had written all these things, mm-hmm. goes back to undergrad for a visual art degree. Oh, that's and it fun. just Can and I do that? Yeah. <laughs> Also, yes, like, can we just reinvent ourselves at like, I think she's like 56, Wow, uh, which is no issue with her age, but I think, I, I say her age because I'm like saying that I think a lot of people assume that because you are that age, you can, and it was such a, um, I'm really into memoirs, mm-hmm. and it was just such Same. a personal account of like what you feel mm-hmm. when you feel like maybe you're invalid or not supposed to be in this yeah. place. Yeah. Uh, but again, going back to my library conversation, I wanted to get it from the library. Yeah, but it was on hold for a very long yeah. time. Look, yeah. patience is a virtue and I have it just now when it comes to books. I, I get want that. <laughs> yeah. And also when you want to reread, I'm a big rereader. Really? Like, gotta go back. Well, here's the thing. I read really quickly. Yeah. Which is great. Um, but sometimes I like skip full paragraphs without realizing it. And so I end up rereading books and I'm like, oh my God, this thing happened yeah, and I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, so it's a different book each time, which is a wonderful side of fast that's reading. That's also it's like a testament to the writer to like yeah. even make it a different experience every yeah. time. I'm a, I'm a terrible rereader um, and I think it. I don't know, maybe it's because I know what's going to happen, but there have been like The Giver, mm. all time classic. Yeah. I think I reread that one three times. Or I reread it twice. I've read it three times total. Yeah. And I think I, every time I took something from Have you read it? I read every, almost every book I get at least twice, if not three times. Wow. How big is your library? It's not home? that big. I mean, I have a library card, so. Oh, so you you ain't out. Okay, yeah. 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 No, you ain't out here. I'm in the no. streets. Girl. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I had to buy a bookshelf. Because yeah. <laughs> it's getting real. I mean, I have a bookshelf, but. No, I buy all my <laughs> books, and I have to like the books are an investment. So, like how you keep the books, it becomes yeah. an investment too. That's true. So yes, but enough of all of that. Please go ahead and check those books. And also, if you did not remember, if you want to be a part of the conversation, you can email me at katie k a d i e smiles because my smile is cute. dot <laughs> nyc at gmail dot com. So Rebecca, yes, what are you currently making right now? I am working or have been working on a big project um, surrounding how young artists are recognizing indigenous folks and land um, and thinking about how we occupy the space that is not ours um, and do it respectfully and mindfully and also take it fully into our practice. Okay. I was thinking about it today. It's like we all say, oh, we don't want to use as much plastic. Blah, right. blah, 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 blah. But how are you actually implementing that into your life? Right. I'm thinking about like those questions, not to relate p- entire people and land use to plastic, but in that same frame of thought. Mm-hmm. So at the end of October, I walked the perimeter of Manhattan. as is crazy. Yeah. As a marking point to start this journey and acknowledge that this is what I'm thinking about. Um, it's 32 miles. And it took 12.5 hours. My roommate did it with me. She finished valiantly. I always say that first because I, under the three bridges, because we walked up the west side and down the east side, under the three bridges, it was not cute. It was not 
cute. Did you cry? Oh, Did yeah. You st- oh, my God. I, like, had really terrible blisters. And a lot of this, like, brought up trauma in my body that I, like, hadn't had to confront in a long time. Wow. And, like, re-aggravated an old injury that I probably should have stopped at, like, 110th Street, but got really stubborn and said, no, I have to finish. Um, and like the last mile took about 40 minutes and I, my mile pace is like 16 minutes. So that's a big difference. Um, so yeah, it was, that's what I'm thinking about. And I'm now post walk thinking about how to archive my experience and how to get it out there in the world while remaining true to the practice itself. Can you tell me a little bit about the entry point into this practice uh maybe some like just what was brewing for you to get you to yeah think about even occupying space at yeah yeah so i am an immigrant and come from two lands that i feel like i have i can claim in some ways but also as an immigrant can't because i'm not there anymore um and i was a a move by choice by my parents, but again, like, is their choice my choice? Mm-hmm. All right, of those things. Right. Um, but where I grew up, I grew up in Wisconsin, and there's a lot of public land use, mm-hmm. and passing through those spaces is very different than passing through the spaces here. So right. that's, like, one of the impetus points. Um, another one was... Um, seeing the influx of land acknowledgements before shows and like yes. the downtown dance scene. Yes, I was going to say, if you're not a part of the New York downtown dance scene, there's probably before every show, just for people who don't live in New York City, before every show someone comes up and they say, we just want to recognize the Lenape people mm-hmm. because this is the land that, mm-hmm. this is their land that we're sitting on, we just want to acknowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yep. it goes something like that before every show. So that started happening um, kind of when I first started moving, when I moved to New York. And was intrigued by it and was like, oh, okay, so this is a thing that's happening in the same sentence as the safety safety announcement. Right, right. And how are the artists performing taking on that acknowledgement? Wow. Are they, is it just a statement or is it a practice that the organization is taking on, that the artists who are involved with the organization are taking on, the artists who are sponsored or funded by the organization are taking on and for a lot of those questions the answer is yes it is being passed through but in folks who are of the younger generation and like I'm not sponsored by an institution um, how is it moving forward as an audience member and also as an arts maker Um, so yeah that was the big impetus for going and then I had this big revelation while I was on the walk and thinking about why I was walking and my his own walking practices and my own histories of learning about indigenous folks is that I realized that there is a law in the Wisconsin government and okay. education system that requires fourth and like eighth graders to spend a significant amount of their social history and geography lessons on the native peoples of that area. Wow. And I didn't realize that that didn't exist in other states. No. So I, it still is a very white state and is a very privileged state and there always can be more done, but in realizing that other friends from different states never even had any of that. Not I, said the Texan. Yeah. (laughs) 
like that was shocking to me. Wow. Um, yeah, and, and that's and the opposite of shocking for me. Like, girl, what y'all, girl, what y'all was doing? Yeah, I mean, Wisconsin is one of the best education systems in the nation. Yeah. And also, the majority of the towns around my area and in the state are of Native descent, so you kind of have to like figure out what's going on right. because the town just north of me is Ashwaubenon, which is it's just a town name. I probably I don't know oh, what that means, okay. but I should know. Okay. Um, Oconomowoc, like. Michigan, Sheboygan, it's all okay. indigenous land names. And do you, how do you, I definitely want to get to something else, but I want to press, a, I want to talk about that really quickly. Mm-hmm. How, being so close to indigenous folk, mm-hmm. uh, though you are an immigrant, I would say that Wisconsin is a home. Mm-hmm. How... Being close to those native people, how was that for you? What did it What did it give you? What did it make you maybe not see or see? I see that you're saying that like you thought everybody had it. Yeah. But even as you're older now, what does that What does that proximity do for you, or had what it did What did it do for you? Yeah, I think when I was growing up, I didn't really understand the impact in the same way that okay. I didn't understand that there weren't that many Asian people in my town. <laughs> oh, also, I'm Asian. <laughs> Just to caveat that in. And I was like, oh, there's like a few people who look like me, but this isn't weird. And it wasn't until I moved away where it was like in school and now I'm here that I looked back and was thinking about how my education and my friends and the community that surrounded me impacted the art that I make today and the people that I work with and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So it's very much I'm looking back into it. Wow. um, But I still have a strong connection to that community. Yeah. So I hope that what I'm doing now here translates to there as well. Yeah, and I agree with you too. Um, I can, um, just making this podcast and a couple of other things, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, for listeners who don't know, I'm from Texas. I try to be as clear as I can about that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Just because I don't think I wasn't super like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. from Texas, I'm from Houston because I grew up in Houston. Mm-hmm. But it is one of those things that like now that I look back, I can see similar to what you're saying, um, how my experience groomed me in such a way. Yeah. And then I just can think about conversations that I had with especially dancers, mm-hmm. especially dancers in a downtown scene. Yeah. We very, I feel like we got way about us and yep. the conversations that would come up uh, and what was what again what was comfortable or what was native mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. wasn't native to the people around me and um maybe a lot of the creative yeah. things that come up is that space in between yeah uh, and, and not assuming it. not assuming other people have had your experience right which is hard and when you when something is held so close to your culture or to of those course. around you to then realize that someone doesn't have that ex- same experience and not to judge Quickly is something that I've learned and worked on yeah. significantly. Me, yeah, me too. And me too. it's it's an ongoing it's an ongoing process, of yes. course. Yes, so, it is. Yeah. So, what got you to this place of like I need to walk thirty miles? Yeah. Because like no, I know you walk into these train yeah. stations, so <laughs> I know you is fit, fat, and fine. Yeah. Like I just don't. <laughs> I don't really. I'm I'm trying to be there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about, so, yeah, this is, this is brewing, but then, how, yeah, how do we get to that point? Yeah, so walking has been a big part of my family for a long time. Um, so I'm half English, and walking in England is a culture, and in a way is a performance of status. Tell, yeah, 
Please elaborate on that. So if you think of walking as it dated back to royalty England, if you will, okay. which has been forever because it's England, um, <laughs> there's the gentleman's promenade. Okay. Where they go out in the garden and they walk around and they're just showing off. They're showing off their body. They're showing off the women on their arms. They're I showing see. off the men on their arms. You know, I don't judge. <laughs> but um, that has continued. And I see it in English culture of like, oh, I'm going on a walk. Shall we go on a walk? And I then see. performing the walk. So there's that side of me. And then I'm also Chinese. Um, and so I'm thinking of walking as a meditative practice. Wow. And how duration informs the body and how duration informs performance. Right. And then also in this like downtown scene that we're in and thinking about how dance comes out of your body and is doesn't need to be tombe padere, glissade, so de shaw. Right. Um right. in fact that us walking down the street is a performance in itself. Yeah. Um and to take the time, twelve hours, to perform a question seemed really wow. pertinent to me. And also so I did it on my like kind of year anniversary of moving to New York. Emphasis on kind of because it's a long, complicated story. Um, but in traversing Manhattan Island itself and thinking about, yes, I present space work at Gibney and movement research, but what does it mean to be a citizen and a maker within Manhattan, the island, and to have my body travel through those different spaces slowly and not on a train and not underground what felt important to me wow and and you just had a question mm -hmm. rather th okay and it was the and the walk is continuing and the questions are continuing and and as I come out of the walk um in thinking about what's next and how do I continue the conversation and continue the practice so immediately after I wrote an essay about the experience but felt very stagnant. I was like, yeah. why am I writing this essay? Like, where is this essay going to go? Who's going to read it? Why is anyone else interested in this? All those questions. Right, like, right. Yeah. <laughs> and then also took a step back and was like, well, is an essay the medium that I need to use? I just right. walked a question. Why would I write it down to a stagnant form and post it on an internet forum? Right. And so now I'm at a point where it's like, okay, do I bring audio into the conversation? Do I bring video into the conversation about how I can archive this walking experience and my questions surrounding indigenous land use and peoples within young artists? Um, and so that's where I'm headed now. But take me back a bit yeah. to, because I really want to get this before the during and the yeah. after. So tell me a little bit about like, so you have this question, what was the moment mm -hmm. where you were like, I'm about to walk these miles. Like, w yeah, what was that in-between space between I have a question, but mm -hmm. this is the way that I want to explore it? Because, mm -hmm. yeah, because you, you just you just, it, you just mentioned mediums. Mm -hmm. Why, like, what was that process of choosing that medium to answer this question? Yeah, I'm not sure I know. And I wow. think this is what this post-walk analysis is. Okay. Um, I, walking is very familiar to me. And walking 12 miles at once is like, oh, okay. Like, I'm just going to do it. And so 32 seemed like a stretch, but it set, seemed doable. Okay. Um, and there's also a comment I'm sidetracking into, like, accessibility about this performance, but right. that's a different conversation. Yeah, and we can totally talk about um, it. But 
to do a durational performance, to be on the island of Manhattan, to ans- ask this question, the only format seemed to walk to be walking. Wow. So, and I'm still trying to figure out what that, what what you're trying to ask, because I don't think I know. Wow. So, and also I think that speaks to. Um, I think that speaks to a common thread that I've heard from a lot of artists mm-hmm. um, that you obviously feel a pull to do something like like me in this podcast. I obviously feel a pull to talk about work, um, but I don't necessarily know. I mean, obviously, I love podcasts, right? Uh, but I can't necessarily say why I definitely felt a, a mm-hmm. resonance with conversations about mm-hmm. dance. Uh, and I feel like that's what I'm getting from this conversation about why you chose a walk versus something else. Yeah. So the day before you did this walk, yeah. Like, did you eat like a bunch of pasta or did you <laughs> eat a bunch of rice? Uh, no pun intended. I just assume rice is a carb. You said yep. you're Chinese. I know yep. you know somebody cooking some good rice. <laughs> like, as that that is me assuming. And if that is rude, please just let no, me know. I'm good. sorry. But yeah, like the night before, what, like yeah. how did you prepare? Eat too. I so I was supposed to go to a show that night, and I decided not to. Good job. Thank you. Good job. Um, I had been walking a little bit in preparation over the month of October. Okay. So I had been doing like ten milers every weekend. Wow. Which <laughs> was probably not enough preparation in hindsight, but you know, we move on. We do what we can. Um, the folks who I invited on those walk were my friends who live in New York. Anyone who was interested, invited friends of friends, fine. Um, but primarily the people who showed up, who I love and they support me and I support them, were folks who are white. And they came halfway through the day, and so we were between 165th Street on both sides because at that point we were going over the tip and coming down through East Harlem. Yeah. And as there was a moment on the in East Harlem where I was the only person of color walking through a community of color in which I programmed dance through my nonprofit work that I'm at and was leading three white women through the space who I love dearly. They're great. And I got so uncomfortable and felt so shameful for what I was doing at that moment that I, like, had to stop because I felt like I was going to throw up. And in retrospective, I think I need to unpack that feeling a little bit more because I don't think it's necessarily shame. I think I just realized that the programming that I do at the nonprofit is very informative. And so while one else was necessarily thinking about it, or if they were, they expressed it to me later, which did happen, um... And so it's just something for all of us to note as we pass through spaces and as we make work on this island that we really need to stop and think, okay, who came before us? Who's here? How can I contribute to that past and that ancestry and also move us forward? Like Gibney 280 is right next to one of the main um, burial sites for slavery in New York. Um, And that's something that I know and now know and acknowledge and walk past it every so often and take a moment maybe take a moment yeah to acknowledge that yeah and I think that there's something in that mo- in that thought rather than me on 155th street being like oh my god I'm a terrible person right and I also just to add to that to be really honest um my experience 
as a black woman uh, changed drastically. And I, and mm-hmm. I, this is this is what you just said. Just makes me think of that. Like, yes, I grew up in a predominantly black area. And mm-hmm. when I went to college, uh, we were just talking about it. I was going to Texas A&M. Right. Um, and Texas A&M is a huge predominantly white college. So, mm. yes, in a way that, that my notion of who I was changed drastically when I was at that school. Mm-hmm. But it's nowhere near the 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 space and maybe confrontation that I experienced in New York. Partially because... Um, my personal program, like my personal understanding of what it meant to be black mm-hmm. and how I negotiated space with that mm-hmm. was definitely in a way that you would do in Texas. Yeah. In New York is a completely oh, yeah, it's different. Like, for example, I know that Dallas has an African American museum and I think it's the only one in the state. Mm-hmm. But to even take, so, but it's the only person, so let's just say that, like, it's, that museum is the only one in the state, yeah. right? Yeah. And so to even get to that museum, you have to be in Dallas. And mm-hmm. I lived in Houston. Right. Uh, luckily, I have family in Dallas, and right. so I'd been. Right. But even to be in such close proximity with what it means to be African American mm-hmm. in this history mm-hmm. is not something that I came into contact with. Like, right. <laughs> uh, for those who don't, who've never seen me, I have really natural <laughs> hair. And at one point, it was huge. Um, and so when people saw my appearance, especially mm-hmm. in Texas, I was often met with the assumption that I was uh, radical or I was uh, yeah. uh, pro, yeah. pro-black pro to an extent that could make people uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, whereas in New York, I find I actually have to unpack mm. what it means to defer. I have to unpack what it means uh, to be politically correct mm-hmm. or respectability politics. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I was in Texas, it was norm. Like, right, I didn't right. even think even like that's just what we do right um and so i also just y- yeah just thinking about just thinking about what you're talking about unpacking um that that that's that's what's with me right mm-hmm. now um yeah i really want to talk about too now I, now we've, we've gotten some good before yeah i want to talk about during the walk what were some tangible because at what you, when you were talking earlier, you were talking about what are we like? Yes, you think recycling is cool. Mm-hmm. What are you doing mm-hmm. every day to make that coolness right. a practice? Right. What were some things that maybe were a part of your physical practice, like mm-hmm. the meditation that came up in the walk? Mm-hmm. But then also, what were some things that maybe came to you that were tangible mm-hmm. uh, during the walk that maybe you hadn't really touched on prior to that walk? Yeah. So. Part of the meditation that came up was a lot to do with city mapping and city planning and noticing where public art exists along the shore. Yeah, what did you find? Um, it's all on the west side. Really? Uh, yeah. Except for near Stytown, there's some mosaic work. Okay, just uh, maybe for my clarification because mm-hmm. I haven't been here that long. The west side is the new money and the east side is the old money. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And okay. so most of the public art was between Tribeca and, um, like, 50th Street. Which is not a lot, considering no. that you go from Tribeca, you can go from Tribeca to all the way to, like, 200. Right, and it's, like, perfectly manicured, and in thinking about when we passed the Whitney, the history of Chelsea Pier, um, and it's, like, clean now. 
in more than one way and they yes there's something to say about beautification and it is a nice place to walk and there were lots of families and we saw lots of dogs but it's a very different history and has erased a lot of the history that was there Mm. um so that came up Mm -hmm. walking along the east side where we had to cut in it was the first point in the walk that we had to cut into the island and that we weren't right along the shore why did you have to cut in because well the main reason is because the train track is along the shore okay the second reason is because there's not an investment of the city for infrastructure in that area is there do you i mean did you was there any uh visual representation of maybe why that is um I think it's just that it's East Harlem and there's less care put towards that. I think there's a lot of public housing up there. Um, Also, I mean, the train from Grand Central is like right along the shore there. And so if you really want to be on the shore and walking along the perimeter, you like have to kind of be in the water, Mm -hmm. um, which I wasn't committed to, which is something that I acknowledge. Um, So walking through the city for the first time at like 3 p.m. was a shock. Um, and then circling back out and coming down from 14th Street and through the Lower East Side, thinking about how that land and near the World Trade Center and down in Battery Park is mostly fill. Like it's landfill or it's rubble or it's not la- it's not actual land. It's falsified land. Um, and so what as we walk through those spaces, like what what's coming up then and what is our responsibility towards that kind of work as well? Not only there are native plants not really happening in Manhattan anymore, the, apparently there's a garden keeper at NYU who's like discreetly planting native plants around NYU's campus, which is really cool. Yes, whoever you are, come through. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd like to talk to you. Please email me. <laughs> um, but to think in, and it, I was thinking about it on the Lower East Side because I know that history a little bit better, but it's it's happened in other places. Landfill right. is everywhere. It's happening in California. It's happening. And can you tell everybody, because also I'm not super clear, mm-hmm. what exactly is landfill? It's like where you want to build out an island a little bit to make it, to build on upon it. So whether it's rubble or whether it was once a landfill or combination of the both they're like filling in the land from the water to then build on it and don't quote me on all of this i'm not like geographically specific where all of this is happening but i know that it does happen right and you see it in the same way when they like do construction um in fidei or even in the lower east side the like what is fidei the financial district ah okay cool yeah we're here um (laughs) Uh, they'll dig up streets to do put piping in and they'll oh. stumble upon like ruins from old brick houses wow. because the just the level of Manhattan has risen over the years because they haven't demolished to build. They just kind of build, build on, on top. top. Um, and so thinking about that as we're walking and packing down earth and concrete as we go. Like, what are we crushing beneath us? What is, was that even there in the time of the Lenape people when they were on this land and the Dutch colonizers came and were like, we're buying this. And the Lenape people were like, you can't do that because we don't really do that. We don't really, yeah. yeah anyway. And also, to your point, um, I'm thinking about Gibney and just uh, mm-hmm. uh, this was the month of Double Plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even not even necessarily Gibney, but even I was recently we were both recently at Judson mm-hmm. um, and just how we we are you know artists 
are adding to conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always hope to add in such a way where I acknowledge <clears throat> what has come before me. Mm-hmm. But obviously, like, I, there are obviously times where I don't. Mm-hmm. But uh, maybe the repercussions of this constant building on top, like mm-hmm. everything has a capacity. Um or uh, everything, energy may not ever be lost, but it definitely has to be transferred in order to be right. held. Right. Um, and how are no we... matter is ever created; it's all an exchange back and forth. And then, and to but to pack it on top, mm-hmm. is it really exchanged in a way that is efficient? Right. For the space that it's that's holding it. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to to say the thoughts that I'm thinking, and in thinking about the folks that we are around and recognizing our ancestors and bringing them into spaces with us, um, how do we also recognize the land that we're on and recognize ancestral lands, even if they're not ours, because we do owe something to the land that is supporting us in our dance practice. Right, and even that is such a, a, it's so, in my mind, it's like, oh, yeah, that's exactly how we talk in New York. Like, yeah. yes, we, we have to acknowledge the land yeah. uh, in our practice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's happening in other places. It's just different. Like, uh, outdoor advocacy is yeah. along the same conversation. Actually, Trump's, like, outdoor person, I forget his real title, Zinke, just resigned, which is maybe a win. It depends who replaces him. Right. Um, no, and definitely it's happening in other places, but my proximity to it was mm-hmm. totally limited. Okay, so, like, full disclaimer. I did not know where recycling. Like I knew what recycling was per mm-hmm. se when I was in college, mm-hmm. um, or like like before college. But girl, I didn't know what that was. And like, more importantly, I, I honestly I think I equated recycling and conservation mm-hmm. to a specific type of white person. Yeah, who um, was like out there hugging trees. Not to say that I didn't love trees too. Yeah, but my awareness about how to take care or even acknowledge land. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's not was there. super limited. Yeah, and that's a whole nother conversation about folks of color in outdoor spaces that I'm involved in. Yeah. Um, because, so I am passing as white. I grew up in Wisconsin. My family's English. All those things contribute to my experience as well. And so I come nice. with a lot of familial history of, like, going out, feeling comfortable to go into spaces that are, quote, unquote, public and, like, being like, yeah, of course I belong here. Yeah. I can do whatever I want. Walk yeah. 12 miles. That's fine. <laughs> I have that in my body and I have that in my family and to acknowledge that as well and to know that not everyone has that. Right. Um, And like how when you look at the demographics of who accesses national parks, it's there's a big difference. Of course. And and I think that, yeah, and I think that conversation can go on for miles, just not Mm -hmm. in terms of who accesses it, Mm -hmm. but who can find like to access something you have to then know like its benefits and mm-hmm. its uh consequences right mm-hmm. to even be so that sounds like to access you have to even be in conversation with it mm-hmm. and i think it takes a certain amount i won't say privilege because i think that that has a conversation to it but i think there's a certain amount of maybe exposure mm-hmm. i also think there's a certain amount of um conversation around it in like a prelim like in grade school there's a conversation around other things that makes other things accessible and I think it's the same thing with that and then when you don't have it Mm -hmm. your access can be limited just because the lack of conversation around it right and I also think um, time has a big point in that it's like okay so who has the time to go out and spend a day in a national park typically it's people 
I'm going to use the word, who have privilege and who have or like fun. A I was going to say, literally, I was going to say, just there's a certain amount of financial security that mm-hmm. you have to have to be able to have days mm-hmm. off. Oh, yeah. And I like I knew and circling back to the walk, I knew that going into the walk I, that I was taking this like I have an entire day to walk. And right. that's a huge moment. And like not everyone can do that. And I think it also informed who joined me. Right. Okay. Which right. is something that I'm thinking about and processing. And yeah, if I continue durational walking as my practice, which I intend to do, and I find a lot of information through it. Right. Like, how do I make it a more equitable space for everyone to join? Right. And I did want to, you mentioned this earlier, and I wanted to ask, mm-hmm. when you were doing research, were there any other artists that you would find that had a practice similar to this? Mm-hmm. So there's a group... Um, that's pretty sizable that's advocating for walking as an autonomous art practice. Okay. Um, it is primarily white folks from Europe, mm-hmm. to the best of my understanding, but that's not like a blanket statement. Of course. Um, walking is a practice, whether you put art before it or not. And I right. think that we are not thinking of walking as practicing because it's something that many of us do every day, but right. it's also something that we need to acknowledge that not everyone can do. Right. Um, Especially for this, but like as a practice. Yeah. Um, for such a long time. Yeah. Um, whether you are legally claiming dis- disability or whether you just like can't walk for right. that amount of time. It's, right. it's both. Yeah. Um, there is a community. I have a few folks I know in the community who different do different types of walking practices. I have a mentor um, who's at Florida State University who studies Franz Fanon. Yes, I remember Fanon. Work and she takes some of his work and does slow walks, and walks like a foot in front of a foot for a long time, but goes a very short distance. Mm. Um, and that emerged for her post the election in 2016. Because in all the energy of wanting to oppose and to fight back, she was missing a slow resistance. Right. And to embody a foot-by-foot walk in solidarity felt like to her, and I don't want to speak for her fully, but it felt what like... What you took from it. Yeah. What I took from it was like, okay, we're slowing down and we're doing this. So I know a few people in my own community who are doing walking practices. And also, too, just to circle back to the original mm-hmm. intention about how we occupy space, mm-hmm. I can imagine, and also I would love for you to talk more about the sheer physical taking steps as time and space mm-hmm. to reflect, because it sounds like that's what she's doing. She's mm-hmm. using this practice as a way to talk or be in conversation with physically right. what's happening. Um and that is in of itself a, I feel like it's a, one of those like um, hippy dippy, like super cerebral things, mm-hmm. but it is also very tangible mm-hmm. that like when you go for a walk or you have to go walk something mm-hmm. off, you can use a physical movement as a way to be in conversation with something that you can't be in conversation with otherwise. Yeah, so yeah, if you could t- totally. please tell me about what that was like, literally step by step. Yeah, no, it was hard. It was. Um, like I said in the beginning, more of a physical trauma experience than I definitely thought it was. And when you say be. physical trauma, are you talking about the blisters? Or are you talking about the 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 blisters? Are were a big part of it. I like reaggravated an injury that I had forgotten I had, so <laughs> that was a thing. Um, but also in the stubbornness that I felt come upon me 
in my like Rebecca Fitton stubborn moment where I'm like, why were you not going to give up? Because I wanted to finish. But in reflecting back on that, I was like, I so I grew up doing a lot of ballet and was like a real bunhead. Um, and how has that training informed how I approach work now, where the opportunity to give up is not there, and also aligning like my ballet background and that mentality with my Chinese background and having stereotypes put upon me as like oh but you like can't you'll never give up and you'll always get it right because you're Chinese and Chinese people like are really smart and they do everything great and they always finish (laughs) and they just they go to college and they go to MIT and then you're like a brilliant person and how those stereotypes impacted that last mile where I was like, I can't give up because I don't want people to be disappointed in me. I don't want to be disappointed in myself. I think stems from a lot of that, like, internalized racism that I experienced right. as a kid, right. which is unpacking a whole bunch and is a big, it long conversation. Whether I would use the word guilty, but feel maybe ashamed is a better word about the fact that I didn't stop. Because so my roommate did the whole thing with me and we had agreed previously that if one of us felt strong enough to finish and the other one wanted to stop, that was fine. We weren't going to force each other to finish. Right. Um, and she didn't tell me to stop. Right. But I should have stopped. OK. And so now I'm thinking about that. And and this is pulling up those thoughts of like, how has the ballet culture infiltrated my life? How has people assuming that because I'm Chinese, I'm brilliant and can't stop, won't stop? All of that. And also it's making me think about these spaces who honor these people, Mm -hmm. uh, honor, not these people, I want to be clear, uh, honor native folk of the land. Um, And... um, and I, and I could be totally fishing. I could mm-hmm. totally be fishing. But what's coming up for me is this, like, I need to fulfill this requirement. Mm-hmm. I need to make sure that these people feel validated and to be seen and to be heard mm-hmm. in these spaces um, where there is space for it. But, uh, and, I, and I've heard a lot of people, I've heard a couple people say maybe just the intention. Mm-hmm. Like, and, I, and similar to what you're saying, you knew full well maybe this was past your capacity but you went anyway and i i wonder sometimes if you're introducing the these memorable these people as a be as a way to be respectful but if this is beyond your capacity right um you don't have the space to support it go for it Yeah. yeah at what point does my own trauma not help anybody else and right. like if I'm just going through pain to point out that other people have experienced pain, like that's not the point that I'm trying to make. Right. And I think that also is fueling into this like feeling that I'm having about not stopping. Right. And also too, to be very clear, I'm not a I'm not in no way accusing people that their point is um maybe beyond their capacity. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder <clears throat> because I've heard some people say that they felt like the space didn't have the capacity to support mm-hmm. a statement that's being made, mm-hmm. but you feel so inclined because if you don't make this statement, you're seeing it as this way. And I think this is, I actually think this is a larger conversation about so many things. Mm-hmm, like you want to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. You want to uh, uh, be politically correct, but if you don't have the capacity to support it, mm-hmm. then what are some other options that um, can support you? Because I was, I was uh, in the company of women, there's a, there's a 
page about Nico, it's Nikki Giovanni. Mm-hmm. And she says, uh, basically, like, well, you know, girl, when I got a question, you know, I look for answers. And if I ain't got no answer, I just don't be talking. Yeah. And I don't think that, and I hear, like, the, the, the both sides of that. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder then about what is this space of uh, this is beyond my capacity. Mm-hmm. And, and how do you move forward from that? Yeah. When, without maybe being worried about being criticized. Yeah, no, I have the same question. And I think that my approach to it is having a conversation with someone. Okay. And that's the best that both of us can do. And if we both reach a capacity, then we need to seek out someone else who has the who wants to have the conversation and emphasis on wants because those who, pro- who can give the conversation fuel and energy are often not obliged to do it right 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 so we have a little bit of time left i really want to get to archiving Mm -hmm. and what that it sounds like that was really important to you Mm -hmm. and coming from someone that like i'm so in the moment (laughs) but and also i have a podcast so obviously i'm getting my mind is becoming more accustomed to archiving but number one like why was that so important to you Mm -hmm. for such a um what feels like a personal process Mm -hmm. yeah um I did not call it archiving until we met a few weeks ago. Yes. And someone was like, oh, you're archiving. Um, I was just collecting information that fuels my life, my artistic process, things that I find that I want to photograph or write down. Um, and it exists on a few different platforms. We primarily talked about this like secret Instagram that I have, yes. which I don't know whether I can call it secret if it, it's like public. Uh, anybody right. could find it they just like haven't and i'm right. not publicizing it so right. i don't know whether it's really secret yeah it's like the secret that's not kept right right you just ain't found uh, it yeah yes. you need to work harder clearly where's your instagram stalking still thank yeah. you <laughs> yes if you need some help I yeah. Can yeah um but i also do a lot of archiving work on my website and it's hidden within process and, and within pieces that i have documented on there Um, I actually think a lot of it stems from not growing up around my extended family. Okay. And that I didn't have any of that to hold on to because there were only four of us in the United States. And so I didn't have the picture books and I didn't have the people I could talk to. We didn't really share a language easily. Right. And so I've gotten into this practice of keeping and writing things down and taking photos because I once... I want it to be helpful for those who come after me because I didn't really have that. Wow. Do you think that by leaving it for those after you, you're maybe creating space for the conversation that maybe you don't necessarily have the answer to? Yeah, I think so. And 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 making sure the conversation continues without me in the picture. Right. Which also ties back to that walk. Like now we've had this conversation and hopefully you continue to think about it. And we're doing this podcast and it reaches more people. Like ultimately my work and my archival process is it's not really for me. It is for me, but it's for those that I remember to have a conversation with. And then they have a conversation with someone else and et cetera, et cetera. Right, and that just, uh, I just, so going back a bit to your, the comment you made in the beginning, mm-hmm. just about this process, this idea of what's tangible, mm-hmm. and like, what are you really, really doing, I totally agree that this podcast, and also your notion of archiving, is important, and and, and honestly, I don't even think about it until I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense, mm-hmm. because you, you just never know how the conversation will land, mm-hmm. 
but the fact that you did the walk, mm-hmm. the fact that you were having the conversation mm-hmm. is maybe then the seed, regardless of what happened, right. but just like putting the energy towards it. Right. That's how I feel too. It feels like it's the tangible thing yeah. that yeah. you can do. Yeah. Um, so yes, and what has the archive, like going through the process of mm-hmm. archiving, mm-hmm. how has that added to this larger process? Yeah, I think I'm just in the habit of doing it more than anything. Yeah. Like I'm I'm in a habit of finding things and sharing them and finding something else and sharing it to someone else, sharing it to one person, sharing it to nobody in this case of this quote unquote secret Instagram, sharing it to all my friends on Twitter, Instagram, blah, 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 blah. Um, I'm just in the habit of doing that practice. Yeah. And I really like that. And I like to collect people and to talk to people. Me too. <laughs> and so if I can, like, give them something in exchange, that feels right. And right. feels like I'm giving information, not just wasting someone's time. Right. And then so as most people know, if you live in New York City or if you're just young and you just don't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, let me not say not a little money. Uh, you are building your chops in terms of the career you're trying to Thank form. You. <laughs> is what I will say. How has your jobs mm-hmm. created space for a walk like this or a, yeah. a creative practice like this? Yeah. So I was telling you earlier that I view my work as equal on all capacities because I think it's ultimately contributing to the same conversations and questions that I have moving forward. So I work in a nonprofit and I facilitate our education and outreach programming in in schools, community centers, and our internship program. Cool. Um, And I also run all the marketing um, for that organization and then through the nonprofit work with an artist as their administrator. Um, So that's one thing that's happening which takes up the majority of my time right um and then I also work with another artist as her production assistant makes things happen carries things when things need to be carried yeah <laughs> that type of person um and, and so there many are, people need those people uh, yeah and I love being that person so I'm I all do. for that um but all the artists and people that I work with I am engaging with intentionally Um, And I have that choice, too, which I'm very lucky to say that I have. Um, And so this walk and all my other artwork and the archive and my marketing practice, like it's all kind of the same conversation. And to put a hierarchy on it isn't the right fit for me. Okay. For other people, they're like, I want to dance. I want to dance. I want to audition. I want to meet people. I want to schmooze. I want to like perform every week. And I'm just not that type of person. Right. And um, I think it's important for you, for people to know that when, she, when I think what Rebecca's getting in terms of hierarchy is, mm-hmm. usually what people will say is, I dance for such and such, or I make work, but my side job, right. or my, so that you create this very clear, like, I'm not hoping to be someone's assistant for the rest of my life. Right. I'm actually hoping to make work. Right. But in for the me, meantime, yeah. and for me, it's, not. it's not like that. No. Like, and, but what I do love is, um, because I think we have very different walks of life too. Like mm-hmm. I, I think I'm, I, I know that I'm a little bit older than you, but I don't think I've been in the city longer than you. Um, mm-hmm. Probably not. And I think we all can be really intentional about what we want. We got like, yes, I get it. Like we will totally maybe do an episode that talks about like money. Right. We could talk about like <laughs> how much money there yeah. is. But 
I think, especially where I'm at at least, Mm -hmm. I think being intentional about where you want your energy Mm -hmm. will override the amount of money that you make because if it's where you are intending to be, Mm -hmm. I really do think the support will come. I Yes, and I also think that we need to put energy to talking openly with each other about where our money is going. Right. And I 100% support that and am very open with the people who ask me about my financial situation. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's also a part of the conversation. Right. So. No, I think people, at least for me at least, I, especially when I first moved to the city, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, all I need is a full-time job mm-hmm. so that I can have some some some, some stability mm-hmm. so that I can do these other things. Right. When And then I met people and they were like, Katie, this doesn't work that way. You, you just don't, like, a full-time job is 40 hours plus. Oh, yeah. Oh, especially yeah. Especially when we're talking about nonprofits. Oh, yeah. Um... But what I did not hear enough conversation about, because like for those of you who don't know, I work with a woman named Jasmine Hearn, mm-hmm. and I stalk Jasmine Hearn. Like I can, like, and we talk about it all the time. I still remember the first day that I saw her perform. Mm-hmm. My heart melted. She was um, just beyond inspiring. Mm-hmm. Like I thought she was like a superhuman. Oh yeah, I believe she, that too. Yeah, and also like, I think most people believe that about Jasmine because she is superhuman. Um, but I say that to say I don't think I was necessarily intentional about mm-hmm. wanting to work with her as a performer or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I just think you're amazing. Yeah. And even, But even to put yourself in that space to uh, be in awe of someone or even like technically, yes, I work for Gina. Mm-hmm. And Gina may not know this and totally shout out to you, Gina, if you're listening. Um, I remember meeting her when I was like 21 and I was like, yo, you don't know her yet, mm-hmm. but I'm going to work for you and I'm going to shut this shit down. Like <laughs> you going to know my name before yeah. the end. But it was this very clear intention that I think mm-hmm. I made with myself, but it wasn't um uh, it wasn't about the money because honestly, like working in nonprofits, we all know that like they're under resourced because mm-hmm. the resources can be very dependent upon the year. Mm-hmm. But that said, it was just about I loved the space that she had made for people, mm-hmm. and yeah, I loved totally. the way that that made me feel. Yeah, and I just wanted to be a part of that. Yeah, and I think regard like going back to the whole thing with money, I think regardless of I think fair conversation is a conversation across the board. Yeah, but I really do believe that there's space for fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Um when you're being intentional about what you want to be in conversation with yeah, totally. and who you want to be in conversation about that with. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I can't remember people talking about that when I first moved to the city. Yeah. I, I don't know whether anyone was talking about it, but I, I was thinking about it. Yeah. And I think part of that stems from, I never, I still don't have the feeling where I'm like, I have to live and breathe and die New York city. Yeah. Um, I know that I probably won't end up here ultimately. Yeah. Um, and moved here because I was interested in the community here more than anything. Yeah. And all of my work is still informed by that choice. Right. And I'm also like not tied to this city, which right. is something that other people don't have for better or for worse. Right. So, yeah. Also, too, our, just as we continue. So the first episode, uh, guys, if you haven't heard it, check it out. But it's with Jay Bowie. Yeah. And Jay Bowie said something very similar. Mm. And I have a very similar mindset mm-hmm. in that, like, where you are is where you need to be. Mm-hmm. And where you will be is where you where need to be. be. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so I'm super curious about the people that I, I'm going to continue to interview to see yeah, if no, that's, like, a common thread. There's definitely people who live and die and breathe New York. Yeah, and yeah. I don't I don't know if I know them people, so I guess we'll see in like future episodes. <laughs> I could introduce you to some. Yeah, uh, and uh, but also too, I really wonder if that speaks to 
the new intentions that I've have been set, w- that yeah. I've set with myself and how that has been maybe uh, maybe energetically just linked me with people that are totally. just on the same frequency. Yeah, and I think because I'm thinking about community and community creating. Yeah, that sometimes often I think that he being here is not the place I can make the most impact. Agree. Um, just I, because of the structure of the city. Yeah, and I grew up in a pretty rural space. And oh. so am tied to that type of living. Yes. Um, and so I can very much see myself moving back there, though it does have its all its connotations of being white space. And is it my responsibility as a person of color to go back and be like, well, let me tell you about my life let in New York. Let me tell you how yeah. you're doing things wrong. Right. But I think there's an entry point in the work that I make and in how I'm thinking about communities are created that there's something there yeah, that I can move forward with. So. Yes. So really quickly, mm-hmm. can you tell everybody where to find you if they want to find you? Yeah. Hashtag tell these people <laughs> about the secret Instagram. If you want to. If you want to. Um, so my real Instagram is underscore Rebecca.fitten. That's where I put most of my stuff. I have a website. It's not updated very frequently. Um, but I'm not going to tell you the secret Instagram because <laughs> it's really not that interesting. Okay. Like, it's just some pictures of some stuff. And sometimes I take pictures of cigarette butts lining, lined up next to a drain. And sometimes I take pictures of plants close up. Like, it's not. But I do think it's really important, though, that not that you guys have the secret Instagram. But mm-hmm. I definitely, as we get closer to 2019, mm-hmm. I've definitely been thinking about letting my inspiration live in a place that I can see it. Mm. I wouldn't necessarily call it archiving, mm-hmm. but maybe it is. Yeah. But just... Um, Documentation. Of, of where I am and mm. maybe where I want to be and what I'm feeling mm-hmm. as a way, as just a practice mm-hmm. that like informs what I want to do physically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, that's totally true. And I would also add to my, like, where can you find me? It's like, I would love to meet people in person. I love having conversations yeah, and that is... A big part of my life and my practice and um so if you want to have a chat in person i like chatting in person so what she basically saying is when you see her on instagram actually follow her and yeah, then yeah. just be like click dm and right. be like hey rebecca i love you so much like yeah we should totally have coffee and like yeah. talk about life definitely except i don't drink coffee so me neither i drink tea i drink tea too but usually when people say like oh you want to get coffee i know we go into the same spot so i'll be like yeah girl yeah. and then when we get there i'll be like girl no, i'm just that girl yeah you know i get super paranoid when i have caffeine it's really oh, my fun. heart races oh see this is we've just been pulled together see amazing see we can go get tea together at, yes. a, at a tea place tea oh. only place oh i know, I, some good a, places. I know a couple good places too okay great okay this so is gonna continue we're, we're offline gonna continue, yes um but we also just got the wrap it up note so we gotta go soon yeah. but uh yes please uh email me at katie k-a-d-i-e smiles because my smile is cute dot nyc if you want to be oh at gmail.com if you want to be a part of the conversation as always make it live make it breathe just make it bye guys bye hey guys before we get up out of here that awesome theme song that you've heard is composed by mike brun and sang by kuhu verma you can find both of them on instagram it's going to be mike brun underscore and what is a kuhu uh, shout out to Mike for making that awesome track. And I'll see you in the next one. Bye.